Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. Today's episode features talent manager Dougie Bohe. Dougie and I break down his unique journey going from bartender to managing the career of legendary DJ and record producer Steve Aoki. If you want to learn how to break in and make a name for yourself, this is one episode that you do not want to miss. All right, I'll see you in there. And now, hosted by Harry G., this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, cause we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. Alright, so Dougie, thank you so much for being on the First Act Podcast. Thank you for having me. So what's, what is your job? You're the artist manager for Steve Aoki, is that right? That's correct. Is that is he the only client you work with, or are there other clients too? Um, so he is the only one. He is he takes up uh, 364 days of the year. He takes up 23/7 of my day. Um, but I, I work for a larger management company, and we manage. I, I don't even know how many clients we're at um, in terms of music, and we do mostly music, but we have athletes and other types. I. I of course, help and advise on other clients if they need it. But Steve's business and career is so robust, it really doesn't allow me much time to do anything else. So how did you fall into that? I fell into it blindly, um, but enthusiastically. I, I, I'm from Canada. Oh, really? I am. I was, I was born and raised in Winnipeg. And I, if you know anything about Winnipeg, it's in the very middle of the country. It's a small city, uh, under a million people, a uh, very blue collar, humble city. Um, no music industry, no, no industry at all, entertainment wise. There's some, a few famous people made it out of Winnipeg uh, in music, but it, that's not really, <laughs> it's like one in a million almost, it seems like. But anyways, I, uh, I used to throw uh, little parties in Winnipeg. Uh, back before like sort of the DJ scene or DJs were considered international superstars or celebrities. It was, it was sort of niche still. Um, I used to throw these little parties in Winnipeg for anywhere from a hundred to maybe the best show was maybe 300 people, but it's small, hundred, 150 people. I was really into the DJ culture. Um, and I would go on MySpace and check out DJs I thought was cool. Uh, Steve Aoki was one that I found not because he was famous yet. He wasn't like a famous popular DJ. He was, he had a very famous party in Los Angeles that I checked out on MySpace every Tuesday to see the photos. He was a, a cool DJ. Um, and I reached out to him on MySpace and was like, Hey, want to come play my party? I, 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 I was a de facto promoter. I actually didn't even know what a promoter is or does. And I didn't do anything professionally, but you know, in those early 2000s, I just started throwing parties in Winnipeg with my friends, uh, putting everything on credit cards and not trying to like get rich or anything. It was more of like, I just want to do these cool parties. And if I made 50 bucks, that's amazing. If I, as long as I break even, I'm good. And then from there, um, luckily enough, uh, uh, this, is, this will sort of show how the Steve Aoki ties in later in my life is that first party, which I think was 2005 or 2006 in Winnipeg. It was a great party. We really hit it off as friends. We, we, we started off as friends first. We did a couple other parties over the years as I stayed in Winnipeg and, you know, just kept on throwing parties. And, you know, every year he started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But luckily we, we had a friendship. It was probably 2007. 
I was like, all right, I want to work in music. I want to work in music. No idea what that means. So I'm going to move. But what were you doing? What were you doing at the time? Like in addition to your parties, were you working other jobs? Or were you in yeah, school? I was, a bar- I was a bartender. I was a bartender at a really awesome place in Winnipeg uh, that allowed me to, you know, work two, three days a week and make actually pretty good living for where I was at in my life. And then I'd throw these parties maybe once, sometimes I'd do it every week, but like at least every two weeks, I'd throw one of these little parties. Um, But then, you know, like anything, I was just like, at this point where I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I, you know, I I had a a pretty terrible time in, in university. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to work in music. Didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what actually a job in music went. I think when people are like, oh, you want to work in music, you think you got to go work, work for a record label. That's what the uh, whole podcast is about. You know, no, nobody really knows what the music industry is like until they're actually into it. Yeah, you learn, you learn very quickly. And, and, you know, I think for me where it got ex- exciting, it was actually, luckily enough, when I was throwing those parties, you get to meet some people, uh, some artists and DJs, and some of them you befriend. And there was a couple artists that I really looked up to uh, back in 2004, 2005 was a group from Toronto called Mastercraft. Yeah. They're a really cool DJ duo that I love their music. They were doing very cutting edge stuff at that time musically. And there was another group I love called Crystal Castles, uh, another Canadian group. Very, very cool. Um, they just so happened to be both on the same label and a label I became, I, I became a huge fan of called Last Gang. Last Gang was this really cool niche label out of Toronto that I was like, like, wow, look at this. Really, really, really cool. I, I love to work for them. Again, didn't know what that meant. Didn't even know what I would do. It was just um, like a job in music that you were like, oh, that would be really cool to be working with them. Yeah, because I love their acts. I was like, I want to be close to these acts. And then in, for my little bit of knowledge, I was like, you got to work for a label. With a little bit of background, I, I found out the guy that owns the label was like, at the time, probably the most prominent music attorney in Canada. His name was Chris Taylor. Um, at that time, his clients were crazy. It was like Drake and Nelly Furtado and Sum 41 and like all these big Canadian groups like Billy Talent and all this stuff. He was sort of the guy. So he had this really cool Last Gang, which was this cool record label that put out really cool acts, Metric, Mastercraft, Crystal Castles, just so many cool bands. There was also a management side of Last Gang, Last Gang Management, and then he had his law firm. So I was like, well, you know, you're going to reach for the stars, so I'm going to somehow get in with them. Um, I ended up getting not even an interview, a meeting, a meeting at his company. Um, So I literally basically moved from Winnipeg to Toronto with very little money with the hope of going to do a meeting. But in my head, I'm like, I have some money saved, which was not a lot. Like I'm crazy when I think about what I thought was going to be okay. Like how much? Moved to do, do you want to share figures uh, or no? I, I would probably say, I don't know exact amount. It was definitely, let, let me put it this way. It wasn't enough to rent an apartment and put a deposit down. Okay. <laughs> but I was like, hey, I did really good in Winnipeg. And Winnipeg's a small city. You know, if I have to bartend, I'm sure it'll be fine. But I didn't realize big cities, rent is way different and all that. It was definitely maybe... $2,500. Did your family think you were nuts? Oh, I, yeah. I think they all thought, I think they have a good family. I think they're all like, he'll be back in six months or yeah, it's a bad idea, but let him go do it. Cause in my head, I was like, I was so naive that I was like, it'll be fine. I'll make it work. How old were you? 
Um, at that point, I was like 26, maybe? It must have been like 26 at that point. Yeah, probably 26. Okay. Uh, so you had a meeting? Yeah, I had a meeting. Uh, actually, I got to step back. I met, I ended up meeting Chris at um, an award show that happened in Winnipeg, which I believe was like the Canadian Country Music Awards. And yeah. my in was with Mastercraft because he was managing Mastercraft and he also was their record label. So I was like, all right, this is my in to talk to him. He was very, very nice, but he's, he, like, he was a big deal in Canada. And he was basically was like, there's no jobs. There's no jobs in music. You know, give me the, like, good luck, blah, 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 blah. The award show ended and I felt like I connected with him, even though I didn't in my head, I was like, I got to talk to him and I told him I want to work for him. And he was like, there's no jobs, blah. Anyways, I ended up a couple months later going, all right, I'm moving to Toronto. I'm going to get this meeting. I go in and meet with him and the same thing. There's no jobs, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'll do whatever. And he was like, all right, you can intern. Reluctantly, they were like, there's no jobs. There's not even internships. Right. But I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll come in and do it. And he's like, all right, you, can, you come in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You said like, so I guess you were just doing it for free. Like just volunteer to be around. Yeah. Yeah. It gets awesome and worse. So I was like, all right, I'm coming in Tuesdays and Thursdays. I just came in every single day. I came in every day. I was like, I'm going to come in every single day. I'm not getting paid. And it was like a long, like it was either one, two, it was either three Toronto buses or one bus, one subway, one bus to get there every day. It took me forever because I lived on the other side of the city. Um, but I came in every day and uh, I soon like actually quickly realized I'm like, I don't like the record label business. That's not really for me. Mm -hmm. I don't like the marketing. I was doing marketing. I liked, kind of liked it, but not, there's a lot of things I didn't like, but I was like, I'm going to do everything from like, I will send letters and do terrible accounting and archiving and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to try to like do something else. My one thing that I had going for me at that time, besides like being a glutton for punishment and being more broke than I ever been, um, was because of all my Winnipeg promoting days, which again, I wasn't a promoter. I was just some guy throwing parties. Right. I got to meet a lot of people, a lot of DJs that I, at that time, the DJ scene was starting to get even cooler and bigger. So I, my whole thing was, how do I figure out what I want to do? Cause I didn't even know what being an agent or a manager was. I thought it was all the same. Me too. Um, yeah. I was like, Oh, it's all the same thing. I was like, all right, I'm going to bring value. I'm going to try to bring value. So if so-and-so needed a remix, I'm like, I'll hit up Steve Aoki, see if he'll do it. He never did, but I could reach out to him. And there was other people too, other DJs I started working with. I'd be like, I'll bring him in to do a remix or do this. So I started bringing in little bits of value um, here and there. I interned for nine months, by the way. Nine months unpaid every single day. Yes, I was in. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna make- So how did, how did you make money on the side? Oh my God, like- I, it's, I'm not even joking. I look back and I'm like, I don't, I don't even remember how I even like survived. I had terrible credit card debts at one point. Just a lot of times I was done with money or I was just like, I need to use credit cards to pay for stuff. Right. Uh, I went through all my money pretty quick. Uh, my girlfriend who was not making a lot of money, uh, she worked at the time. Uh, she worked as, um, uh, what's it called? A makeup artist. But we're not enough to make a living off of as well. I'm not really sure, but somehow it was rough. It was very rough, but I will say just a caveat, all this, when I look back on that time, it definitely was probably some of my favorite times in life, even though it was very desperate because everything was exciting. They're like, everything was 
if I got to do something new that I like, hey, you're going to go down to Much Music, which was like the MTV for Americans, and not because I'm doing anything cool, just I got to go along. Yeah. I was like, this is a, incredible. Um, so I was just like taking in everything, um, trying to bring value. And then I started understanding the man- management side of what Last Gang was. And then once I really understood what a manager is, what they do, who they are, how they fit in the ecosystem of music and with an artist, I was like, well, that's kind of what I would like and I'm good at. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So I started uh, I started pushing myself into the management side of things and and trying to get deeper into that and working on different teams. And was Chris cool levels. with that? Like during your internship for you to go from like the label side to the management side? Yeah. So with Chris, I think initially, probably the first couple of months, he was probably like, this guy's going to be out of here. Like, like, not, I hate to say it, but like a lot of interns. So you come and go and, you know, some are better than others. And I think he was probably like, let him do his thing. It's free help. If any learns along the way, great. But lo and behold, I think on both levels, I started doing better and well and bringing the value. And then Chris really, I, I can say this without a doubt, he was my mentor. He became my mentor for many, many years. He was somebody I very much admired and still to this day is somebody I very much admire. And we wouldn't be talking. You wouldn't have any interest in me if it wasn't for Chris because Chris, very successful entertainment lawyer, very, very successful in the music business. Um, he now runs E1 Music globally. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So he's the head honcho of E1. Uh, very successful, very nice, very smart. Um, and I think we ended up really hitting it off after a couple months, probably towards the, the end of my, well, from when I transitioned from like intern to actually being an employee. Um, yeah, he was cool. That, like he's such a, he's such a creative executive. Like he's almost more of an artist than he is an executive, mm-hmm. but so smart. Um, he just let it, let me run, run with things. And then next thing you know, I was signing my own artist, managing them with Chris, some he was just would oversee, but he gave me a lot of freedom. Uh, also opened me up to like traveling and, you know, put me on some cool things. I was on it at, at the time. Nelly Furtado was one of his biggest clients. And I remember going on a little tour with her. I remember bringing Nelly to Steve's LA Dimac Tuesday night in LA, which was a proud moment of mine. Not that I have anything to do with Nelly or I, you know, I was there because Chris put me with her and I got to bring her to Steve's party night and it was made me feel good, but it was all, all these things. And then I, I worked for Chris for a long, long time. How long were you with him for? Uh, I think it was about seven years. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were in Toronto for about seven years before, yeah. before leaving. You're, you're in LA now. I'm in LA. Yeah. Okay. So how did you really build that relationship with Chris? Like, how, how did you not be like that annoying intern who's like, what, what work do you need done? What work do you need done? Do you have anything for me? Like, how, how did you balance that? Um, I don't know. This is what I think. Cause I was that annoying intern. Like as soon as I, as soon as I got into crush, I was yeah. like, I was like, guys, what can I do? What can I do now? Like, do you want me to sweep the office? Like, can I reorganize the, the spoons in, in the, you know, in the kitchen? Like, what, what can I do? I, I think I was, I think I, me and you were similar. I think I was, I was like that. I think the other thing too, and I think along the way it pissed off some people, some of his more senior or longtime employees is I just took initiatives and I probably, I would do things and apologize after. Yeah. This might ruffle some feathers, but if it works, it's good for everybody. And I would say, oh, sorry, I didn't know I wasn't, I was supposed to do that. Um, not to say I was like, this terrible guy, but I like, I just was like, I am going to be as enthusiastic 
as I can, but I'm also going to try to carve my own way and bring in opportunities. And there's a lot of situations where you fake it till you make it. You're like, I'm talking to this, this head at some label that I probably shouldn't be talking to because I'm not experienced enough at that time, but you just make sure you learn as you go. And, you know, I, I was very big into like, I'd read all the music books. I try to learn as much as I could. I would read like interviews, watch panels. I did all that stuff because I was like, you know, you have your people you admire when you're younger. You're like, one day I'd like to be like that person. Like, and you want to know how they did it, where they come from, their advice. Um, I try to learn everything I could about the music industry. Like every, every, I was like, I want to know everything. I want to know to the stupidest royalty calculation. How does that work? Not because it necessarily interests me. I just want to know it. And, um, so I try to just learn everything and try to bring as much value to everybody as I could, mainly Chris. If I could like impress him or do something that brings even a tiny bit, you, you start winning after a while. That's some really good advice. Okay, so so you're with him for about seven years. I guess when he offered you a job, were you an assistant or were you a coordinator? Uh, what, what did you do? We didn't have titles, but my my I would say I was like a coordinator level Cause I was sort of doing, I was sort of straddling and I think I proved myself to a degree, but there wasn't necessarily a role. And I think I was sort of still strat my first job I was still straddling the management company and the record label. And that was probably a creative way for accounting to work, to justify even paying me anything. Right. Which in retrospect was great because as much as I wasn't super interested in the label side and the releasing and all that, thank God I did that because even back then, even though like, times of change of how people release music and the campaigns around that, at least I understood a structure of what is required to put out a single or an album or a remix or this or that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I was, I guess I was a coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. So you were kind of just helping people out around the office, doing pretty much doing what you were already doing, but now yeah. you're getting paid for it. Now I'm getting paid. Uh, I can now afford my pass to my subway pass <laughs> and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, over the years, I just started fully going towards management and we started, he would have me manage some of his existing clients. And, and I don't mean like he would help me. He would, uh, he would have me help him manage his clients. Right. And then I started signing my own with him, with his blessing. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, did he let you or was it something that like, were you always kind of working with like baby bands or artists on the side be even before you had his blessing to bring them in or were yeah. you just like focusing fully on I was always talking to them and like, I was always inquiring. I was always like, I'm going to like reach out to bands or artists or DJs or whoever I like and just get a conversation going um, using probably his name and leverage for them to even keep on talking to me. Right. But probably didn't have the confidence or maybe even the timing wasn't right of where I was at to like, be like, I'm going to like be your manager. But then as I started working on other groups and he, Chris was awesome. He had me like working on so many different things and different different acts, different bands in different forms um, that I started learning. And then, I, you know, I think you get to this point where you're like, all right, I want to like find something that's mine, find something that I can like sink my teeth into and own and feel proud to be part of. And that's when, uh, I don't even know what year that was, maybe 2009 or 10, probably nine. I, I started, started signing my own. Yeah. So who were some of the clients that you brought on or brought into the company? Uh, there was a girl from Nova Scotia named Kay who ended up being called, my name is Kay. Um, she was a really, really, really cool, talented, young pop artist and songwriter. We had a really nice run. Uh, unfortunately, um, it didn't end the way I think we both hoped for. But, you know, this is a girl from Nova Scotia, ended up signing her to Universal Canada record deal. 
then we ended up signing her to Interscope in America. Uh, she was she had a deal with Ryan Tedder, who at the time was the biggest songwriter and producer in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Jimmy Iovine and Ryan Tedder signed her record deal. Very exciting for both of us. Isn't she, Ryan Tedder from One Direct? Uh, not One Direction. One Republic. One, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the, the same guy. Uh, and then at that time, you know, it was exciting. We signed this big record deal for America. We have Ryan Tedder, who's like, was writing hits for Adele, Beyonce, Grammy winning writer for like all these acts plus One Republic. And then we started putting together an album. It was really cool. She had a song with Steve, a song with Tiesto, a song with Diplo. And then a bunch of other big artists came on board. Uh, we worked on that album for a year and a half. It didn't come out the way Interscope liked it. We still kept on pushing. We had a couple little tours, tour of Canada. We did a tour of Canada with uh, LMFAO, who was massive at the time. It was very exciting for her. And we just kept on pushing and pushing and pushing. And then it's just one of those stories where you, you know, I thought we were at the top of the mountain. I'm like, okay, we're here. Yeah. Or like, we're working with the best in the business. we got this massive record deal. You're great. And it was just one of these things, you know, like it could be cosmic it could be timing it could but you know the timing is tough too because katie perry just came out she was crushing the world kesha came out she was crushing the world lady gaga with interscope was crushing so we had big competition and you know just the label wasn't excited about it uh jimmy left uh to do beats and you know have another legacy and it just at the end of the day it just sort of fizzled out and um and not because she's not talented and not because we didn't do everything right. And I was like, I was still really, I was very, very upset because we put so many years and effort and, you know, we felt like we were there. Yeah. Go show how inexperienced my maturity was, but huge crash course in, in management because, you know, I'm, sometimes I still like, even now I look back and I'm like, wow, I like, I can't even believe we did that. Like, it's just felt like one thing after the other, we're like, wait, we're, we're going to Interscope in LA and we're going to go to Jimmy Iovine's office and sign a record deal with him and Ryan Tedder. And by the way, during that, that meeting, P Diddy just barged into Jimmy's office, no joke, to, and interrupted him and was like, yo, Jimmy, we're going to Paris or something like that. And then left. So me being a, like, you know, just a young kid from Winnipeg, who never thought I would actually leave Winnipeg. I remember just being like, oh my God, I can't believe we're here. You know, we're like, we're getting to work with like some of the big, best songwriters and producers of that time. We're meeting with like so many cool people, uh, you know, idols of mine. I remember meeting with Pharrell and being like, I can't believe I'm meeting Pharrell. And, but Did you I'm feel gonna... starstruck along the way? Like meeting people like Jimmy Iovine, like Pharrell, P Diddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, like guys like Pharrell was like, they were like an idol of mine as a kid. I was like, I'll never meet them. They're too cool. Um, yeah, like all that stuff. And you you also, you know, Chris, he's an accomplished executive and music attorney who's seen and done it all. So he's confident and confident in his experience and confident in his skills where I'm like, you know, I'm overcompensating my confidence because I'm a little bit like, they're going to find out I'm just some kid from Winnipeg who started like a couple of years ago and doesn't know what he's doing. You know, you're always, you're always worried that you're not good enough. And in, in, in retrospect, I definitely was good enough, but you don't think that because I think as a Canadian, you always have this inferiority, is that how you say it? Inferiority complex of, you know, we're, yeah, you know, humble and cool and like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good, but not as good as an American counterpart. Um, I was definitely, uh, I definitely was knew what I was doing, but I, I didn't have the confidence at that time. 
I can, I totally get what you're saying. Like when, like I was applying to so many jobs to try to get into the US, like you've probably done your O1 visa, right? Because after working for so many years in Toronto, you know, you had label experience, you had management experience, you've worked with actual artists and got them signed. So it was, you know, you had enough that you were able to boast the O1, but at the time I wasn't, you know, I, I was like a new grad from McGill and just trying to get real experience because my girlfriend was going to NYU law school and I was like, Oh, I'm going to follow her. Yeah. And so I, you know, I fibbed my way into like the U S on like an unpaid internship. And like the one company that got back to me was crush and they were willing to sign off to be like, yeah, we'll have you on board for an unpaid internship. Like we'll sign off on your paperwork to get you like a J one visa for like six months. And after that you're on your own, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but like, I, I get what you're saying. Like, you know, you feel like you have something to prove, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it, it's both, it's, I think it, that feeling makes, makes you want to do well, but it also can be not helpful for you. <laughs> Cause like, it, you know, I don't have any regrets, but sometimes if I look back, if I was watching the movie of that time, I probably would have been like wishing I didn't try so hard to prove that I was worth it. And in reality, I was trying to convince myself I was worth it. I wasn't actually even trying to convince them. That's the funny part. I'm like, you overcompensate and you try and you like, you're a little insecure and you know, like, but in reality, it's like, it's, it's your, your own wall. I wasn't really trying to impress so-and-so at Sony music. I was really just trying to impress myself. Yeah. You were just, I guess you had very high standards of yourself or didn't even realize it. I think it was like I had such low standards of myself that I created these high standards for myself. Yeah. Well, like what was expected of you? You're like, oh, here's Pharrell. You're like, I'm like this. And he's like this. Yeah. And so you're like, I need to, I need to be more. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, like I also probably think it came from, you know, it's an insecurity where you look back and and I, and, and I, I'm sure there were some big haters in my life, but I think you, you try to, you're trying to prove to yourself, but like you want to prove to, I want my mother and father and brother and sister to see that I'm, it, I'm actually making it work. Yeah. I think a lot of people, my parents, parents worry. So they're always going to worry about their kids. I think they were very worried and concerned about me. And I don't know if they fully thought this was going to ever happen for me. And even when things were getting a li- little bit better, I think they still thought like this guy is, and they do that out of love. So you want to show them, but then there's another side where, you know, you have like acquaintances or hater friends back in Winnipeg who are just wishing you to fail or thinking you're failing out of their own insecurities. And at that time you want to like show them too, like I'm doing it, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. And it's funny too, because like now you get older and I literally don't even care about any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> my, my parents, I think are proud of me. They have no idea what I do. I can explain it to them every year for the next 10 years. And they just are like, he seems to be doing great. Like if I, I would love to hear how they explain my job to their friends, because it's probably hilarious. But now I'm like, you know, you just want to, you just want to be happy. You want to, you want a loving, compassionate life. And you, now you, I just want to work with people that, uh, I admire for being great people instead of the opposite where I was like, I want to, you you admire people because they're successful or they're this type, this type of person. I just want to surround my life with uh, people I like. Yeah, I think that's really that that's the only way to win. You know, if you're surrounding yourself with people that want you to fail, you're probably going to fail. Yeah. So you know, I, I actually had a question from when you were working with Kay. 
you you got assigned to you said Warner Canada, right? Uh, Universal Canada. Universal Canada. What was that like? You know, she was like your first, I'd say, like real client that you bring in on your own. And how do you get an artist signed? That you know, you, how, how do you get them to take a chance on you and take a chance on her? And what does that conversation go like? Uh, in that circumstance, there's a couple factors. One, she had these demos that she did in her bedroom that were really fucking great. Oh, sorry, I swore. I, That's I fine. You can swear all you want. <laughs> yeah, uh, were really, really great. That's what th- these particular songs are what attracted me to her. She also had a very cool look, like her own thing. She had her own thing going on. And a lot of people were drawn to her just like, she just had a, a energy to her. Mm-hmm. She had a very interesting uniquely her look this really really compelling energy and she had some really really cool songs and with the universal canada deal that one the majority of the credit besides k goes to chris because chris was the man who had many artists at universal canada and he was like this with uh at time who was the vice president of i can't remember if he was marketing or whatever but he's the one who this guy named jeremy summers who ended up loving uh k and signing her to universal and being her ambassador before he actually eventually took a job as the vice president of marketing at interscope when we were still at interscope so it was kind of nice but um chris was the one who like got us in the door and then it was a combination of k's music and her face to face i think they got it they're like the music's really great they met her and they're like oh okay we're infatuated with her yeah, she was very marketable um, and very easy to like. And um, from there, we just sort of parlayed it. And the Ryan Tedder situation, he's the one who got assigned to Interscope. And what happened was <clears throat> we were in L.A. I can't remember why. We used to go to L.A. a lot um, to work on music, work with artists. And that's just when we were assigned to, to Universal Canada. And we went to some barbecue, some like, <clears throat> I can't remember whose house. It was like some music industry barbecue. And we met this guy named Brett and Brett was, I think we're around a fire, like a fire pit. And Brett was like, Oh, what do you do? Da, 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 da. We showed him some of her music cause he wanted to hear it. And he was like, I love this. Oh my God. Da, 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 da. He was Ryan Tedder's A&R. Okay. So but that, that, showed, opened the door. that opened the door. We never even really knew what he, who he was or what it did. But I think within a week later, he's like, Ryan wants to meet you ASAP. Um, uh, wants to meet you ASAP. He loves it. He wants to work with you. And we're like, whoa. Because I think he, he just literally won a Grammy for writing Halo for Beyonce. Wow. And then Adele's record and a bunch of other massive records of Leona Lewis. Um, so we're like, oh my God, this is crazy. And um, if I remember correctly, this is an actually really cool story when I look back on. We went to go meet him at a studio that's no longer here. It was in Hollywood called was it serenity it was like this really cool vibe on hollywood boulevard we go there and he's in a session and he's going to come out when he has a break and it was adele and i was a huge adele fan adele was wasn't the massive adele that she is now yeah, but how she, can you not be an adele fan well exactly and i remember Kay met her and i was like do you know who that is and Kay didn't know at first and then we we're like oh my god that was adele I remember just being like, holy shit, this is so cool. Um, but we met with Ryan. He was like, I really want to work with you. Da, da, da. And it actually moved really quick because he, uh, at that time, he was very successful with One Republic who was signed to Interscope and he had a producer deal where he was producing artists and stuff. He's like, I'm going to sign you to Ryan Tedder and Interscope. That deal came together really quick. I think we had that signed maybe, maybe two months to be, maybe it was two months after that meeting, which is really quick in 
major label time time frames. And that's how the that's how Interscope came to be. Wow. Yeah. So so why did you leave? It sounds like you're having a great time in Toronto and working with Chris. What made you want to leave? And you know, how did you end up working with Steve? So I remember that was a really, really hard time. Um, it's one of those things. That's probably like the only time I like teared up over quitting a job because I loved, I loved last gang and I love Chris. I, you know, I, he, he's very important to me. Actually, I, I zoomed with him last week for a catch up zoom. Um, and you know, I owed a lot to him, but at that point I was, I was so, um, I was burned out. I went on this crazy roller coaster ride with Kay where we like went to the top of the mountain and, I, and really had a hard crash. Yeah. And it sort of ended. It was like, Interscope's out. Universal Canada's out. People aren't returning our calls or emails like they used to. We're trying to just get things back on track. We're getting a little opportunity here and then a setback here, opportunity here. And I just admittedly got defeated. And then uh, I had some other artists I was working on that I loved too, but it was also like pushing a boulder up the hill. Mm-hmm. I believed in them so much and they were so great. But again, it's like, it was, it was one of these things where I was like, I, I self-defeated. And what I'm grateful for being so self-defeated was, is something clicked in my head that in order for me not to grow, but like to maybe achieve more or do more is I need to step away from this. And it's really not because I wanted to step away from Chris, even Kay and some of the artists, I'd love them. And I still keep in touch with them when I can. Like actually I had lunch with Kay about two months ago. She was in LA and it was, I haven't seen her in two years. Um, you know, they're very important to my life, but I, there was something that told me that I gotta, I gotta like, this is as hard as it feels. It's like, you got, you got to know what you're made out of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 uh, I left and, um, I started working for basically for the next six months after I quit. Actually, I took, I think I took like, for the first time in my life, I took like a month and a half off, which was the only thing I could really well, actually, I couldn't even afford to do that, but I did. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and then I started consulting and, and still working with artists. Um, and then it was one of these situations where I can't remember exactly how it happened, but what the exact, I think I should know this, but I reconnected with Steve. And at that point, Steve was like pretty famous, very, very successful, you know, a top DJ. Um, and that was 2014. Um and I remember just talking to him and being like, I can't believe what you're doing. Like you're massive now The DJs are now like almost, almost at that point, household names, especially in Europe, they were. And he was just the guy, like he had all these different businesses, a record label, all this stuff. And I, I remember just talking about, I wasn't at last game and all stuff. And, you know, can't remember how it ended, but like literally maybe a week or two after that call, um, he offered me a job and, was like, I remember the call. He was like, can you like offer me the job? And I remember being like, whoa, like, like, are you sure? Like, but wow, to join, what? to join his management. And then yeah. I was like, you know, and at that point too, you, 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 that the lack of confidence comes out in you. You're like, am I good enough? He could yeah. hire anybody he wants in LA or New York. And you did, but at that time I'm like, you, you don't give yourself enough credit. Cause I went with Kay, like we did three record deals, a pub deal. She worked with like top, top artists, top, top producers. We did big uh, endorsement deals. And then I had three other artists that all had, I signed record deals with. I got, I got them record deals and publishing deals and touring. 
So I was like, well accomplished, but you just don't think maybe it's the Canadian Winnipegger in me. I was like, I was like, yeah, of course. And he's like, I remember him being like, can you be here on Friday, uh, on Monday? And it was like a Friday. And I was like, well, I'm Canadian. I live here. I have a girlfriend, all this stuff. And I remember him being like, talk to your immigration lawyer. I still had an 01, but that was under one of my artists. Um, I'm like, yeah, but I have to do a whole new one. And he's like, how soon can you be here? I remember I called the lawyer and she's like, we can expedite it and get you at least an answer in two weeks. Right. If you pick this crazy expedited thing. And I remember I like, I was like, let's do it. Uh, we're going to do it. I'm going to take a chance. I remember I sold everything I owned in my, like the, not everything, the majority, all my furniture, all the stuff. Cause I was going to go to LA with the least amount of stuff. Right. I mean, you're just going to buy new stuff. Going to buy new stuff. Even though I was, I wasn't broke. I had a little bit of money. Um, and I was going to drive there. I was going to drive. I had this minivan. I was like, I'm going to drive Toronto to LA, which was very exciting for me because I love road trips. And I was like, when am I going to be able to do this? So this is like a four day road trip. Five. Yeah. Yeah. And my girlfriend at the time, she flew. So I went out there first. So, she, so she moved, so she moved down with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she, she flew a couple days later. Uh, but I did this whole like long, I'm going to like see the middle of America and just take my time. But I remember I left on a Saturday, I think it was. And I remember on a Friday night, I was having dinner with somebody and going, I leave tomorrow. I no longer have my apartment or any belongings. And I still haven't heard if I was, I got my visa. And I remember being like, this is going to be hilarious. If all of a sudden I get denied, <laughs> like, I'm like, Oh, I don't have a job or our apartment. Yeah, I mean, why would you, right? Like you, like you had, you had the experience, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. I remember being like, and then I'm like, well, I can't leave because I, I'm going to get to the border and they're going to be like, so I remember, I remember just going like this. And I think I'm, frantically called the lawyer and she didn't answer and I was freaking out. And I remember I like, it was like probably like seven o'clock at night. I remember like all of a sudden I looked at my email and it was like, Oh, one approved. And I was just like, oh. and then I left the next day and yeah. And now you have your green card or you just renewed the O one. I have a green card. Yeah. I, I, I had, in my life I had, I had a P2 that was through Nelly Furtado had this really cool group that she developed and I worked on named uh, Fritz Helder and the Phantoms. Um, and then so I got, did you, go, you went on tour with them? Yeah. Nice. That was my early intern days. I went on tour with them and Nelly. Yeah. went to Miami with them. That was huge for me. Huge. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like managing and tour managing Fritz Helder. They were her backup dancers. And then, then they formed a, their own group. So Nelly, it was Nelly's signed them and it was their her thing. And yeah, that was really, really awesome. And then I think I had three Oh ones. And now I have a green card. Nice. I, I want to get an 01, I guess, on my next trip to the States. You know, like I want to figure that out mm-hmm. so that, um, I don't know. I, I almost went to LA, like instead of New York. That I think that was really where I was supposed to go. I, but I was, I didn't really know how to make things work. You know, now I have contacts and friends that, you know, are in LA, that are in New York, that can, you know, can kind of open doors or like at least help me try to get a job. But at the start, it was so daunting. You know, I, I was an economist for a number of years, <laughs> economist on a TN visa um, because I studied accounting and I was able to boast that I took enough classes in economics, even though I wasn't really doing it. You know, I was, I was being an assistant or being an agent or, you know, th- there's definitely components to it that are like, 
economistic, you know, financial. But yeah, I was definitely not an economist. Um, cool. That's, um, that's really exciting. I, I can't wait to apply someday for my O1, like when it's my turn, you know, there's so many Canadians in the States. It's, it's weird because I actually, I didn't know that you were Canadian. I knew you had like some ties to Canada. I wasn't sure if you're Canadian or not, but I've actually interviewed the last, like, if you listen to like the last like five episodes, like a lot of them are Canadian. Who, 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 who were they? Uh, Tim Chan. He, <laughs> I'm a friend of his. Oh Yeah. Works for Rolling Stone, writer. Yeah. So I, I his roommate okay. is a very, very close friend of mine. Uh, they all live together in Studio City. I've been to their house many times. I was actually supposed to have coffee with his roommate, who's his best friend, on Sunday morning. But I ended up doing a Canadian thing and going and playing hockey instead. Um, it's a very small world. Yeah. So I had him on. Who else did I have? Uh, do you know Parkside Mike? No. He worked with donald k donald um oh. so he was like oh well <laughs> another tie another tie-in yeah so at one point for the first couple of years i worked for last gang chris taylor's partner in last gang was donald tarleton well wow yeah because because dkd is everywhere right yeah. um yeah so parkside mike came to me through not like you know most people i'm kind of hitting up kind of like how i did with you um yeah so i a PR company kind of found the podcast and I was like, I thought it was bullshit. You know, I, I was like, Oh, like what, what PR companies hitting up like the, my little podcast, like probably six months ago. And they started like sending me people like legit people to interview. And I was like, Oh, this is really exciting. So I, I do most of the outreach kind of like the same way that I reached out to you. Like I'll, I'll use LinkedIn and I'll be like, wow, this person has a really cool background. And I did not expect to hear back from you. Cause like you're Steve Aoki's manager. Like that's so cool. I love talking with people and like, I, uh, I, I'm pretty good at getting back to everybody that emails me every single day. So yeah, you've been, you've been awesome except for last week. (laughs) I know. I know you can blame red over there. And also another time my sister lives in Montreal. Oh really? Yeah. What does she do? Uh, I don't know. She's worked for this guy for like, she's lived there for 15 years now, probably. Um, she lives in St. Henry. Okay. The guy used to like be big into fashion, but now he he's like a big entrepreneur there. But she's been working for him for 15 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you guys are all kind of in the arts. Uh, yeah, I guess to her, I think she's more on like accounting and administration. Uh, and my brother is a real estate agent in Winnipeg. He, he never got out of the peg. No, he, 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 has a, he has a little daughter now. He's, he's set up there. So do you... Um... Do you know, you know, the artist Russ? Yes. His manager is from the peg also. What? Yeah. What's his name? I don't remember. I have to ask. I, um, I'm Jewish. I went on birthright uh, a couple of years ago and I, and I decided not to do the Montreal only trip. I did a national trip anyways. So we we all go to Israel and I'm, I'm chatting with some of these people and one per one guy that I met he's good friends with Russ's manager. I don't remember his name though. I'd have to, I'd have to check it out, but he might not be his manager anymore, but they're all from the peg. Like, wow. and it was the same thing. Like he would promote his own shows and then eventually like got to know Russ and his team and was brought on board. It's, it's shocking because like, even though I've been gone from Winnipeg for a long time, I, I have my best friends in life are still there and everybody kind of knows everybody or knows, you know, who does what. Um, and that's, that's very interesting. I, I remember at one point there was a, somebody in Winnipeg, I didn't know him, that was also managing Waka Flocka. 
Remember the rap? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's the same same group of friends. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Same group well, of friends. Very interesting. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So the last couple questions that I have are actually from one of my interns. Um, cool. Her name's Erica, and she's in Los Angeles. So she wants to know from you what makes a what makes a successful manager. Oh wow, that one can go very long-winded, but I'm going to make it short and as concise as possible. In my opinion, um, besides being a glutton for punishment, uh, you have to have extreme organization and attention to detail. Attention to detail probably being the most important and also at the same time very broad because it can that, that applies to every situation. Um, your attention to detail with everything you do, how you think about things, how you forecast things, everything has to be very thought thought through. If you want to be successful and you want to keep on parlaying things, I also think you have to be selfless and realize it's not about you. It's about the artist. Everything is about the artist. If you make things about you and you personalize things or you try to do things that you think might be good for you, it probably won't be good in the long run, at least from my experience. If you you have to fully believe and know who your artist is and where they want to go and just basically go, I'm devoting myself to making that happen, mm. I think is very important. Um, and then I guess, you know, the, the, the cliched ones, which are just as important is very strong communication skills and very open communication. Um, if you don't communicate properly or understand how, to communicate with the artist or your team and you don't do so on a frequent basis, things will fall through the cracks and things will eventually slow. Um, I'm a Steve, Steve is a more is more guy. You know, he's, he wins Guinness books of world records for doing the most shows in a calendar year, most miles traveled, like it's typically 250 worldwide shows a year. So he doesn't stop and we don't stop. Our team does not stop. And although that is very difficult in many ways, I also think that's the key to his incredible success and our success because we can we can work at a very high intensity and pace and still keep everything together. Yeah, I saw a YouTube video of him do of of some YouTuber who's in great shape trying to do Steve Aoki's workout and he just got burnt out and Steve's like hurry up like come on let's go. <laughs> like he's like that every day, man. Like that, that got his work ethic is second to none. I, there are very prolific artists out there, but I haven't seen anybody that can touch Steve's work ethic. That's great to hear. Um, so how, then how do you balance, you know, being likable and friendly with the talent, but also stay respected and get things done? You know, how do you, how do you keep that balance? That's a good question, actually. I never thought about that, but that's very important. Um, I think my luck is I, I came into Steve's life as a friend first. So there's a mutual respect in terms of human to human. And then from there, you really just have to deliver. You have to like draw lines of when's personal and when's professional. Mm -hmm. And I, I never want to forget that, hey, like I'm responsible for so many things. Steve is counting on me for so many things. I can't let him down and I can't let the business down. So um, I think you, once you get a good repertoire with somebody, you know when it's like personal time, and you know when it's professional time and you can't blur those lines. Um, you know, you, you, it's probably the, 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 the other cliche thing <laughs> that rings true is honesty. Steve is a very honest, blunt guy. And I love that. 
because you know when you're doing something good or you're doing something wrong or you're you're forgetting something. Yeah. I think it works both both ways. He he wants he never wants anything sugarcoated. He wants the hard truth, whether it's good news or bad news. And um I think I think that's important. That's probably it's probably the honesty thing. You kind of figure out how you work with people. You know, you spend enough time with somebody, you figure out what they like, what they don't like, what gets them excited, what turns them off. And then you, you sort of amalgamate that into your, whatever your professional strategy is with their business. Have you ever pissed them off? Oh yes, totally, totally, totally. Um, and you know, we're all human. Most of it is just, you know, things falling through the cracks. And a lot of times you have nobody to blame but yourself because there's expectations. It's like, Steve is such a big, I call him a corporation. He's not, he's an artist and a DJ, but he's so much more. He's a producer. He's a writer. He's a businessman. He's a record executive. He has like many, many different hats and he counts on people like me and other people in our team to manage his business and his career. And he entrusts us to do things. And when things are done that he expects or should be done, you know, he's going to get frustrated as he should. But you know what? I think the great thing about Steve is like, we all communicate like if I look at our, my text message or WhatsApps right now, there's probably a million different chats going. We, we communicate really well. And if you consider what we do and the high output of what we do on a daily basis, this very, our margin of error is very small. But we have a, we have a, our team is very, we're lucky. We have a very, very kind of like loving team. We all get along. We all know each other. Most of everybody on the team has been with like working with each other for years and years and years. And Steve is such a great leader. Because really, he's the leader. This is Steve Aoki Inc. is owned by Steve. Right. He's like the CEO and you guys are all of his executives. Exactly. That's exactly the way I picture it. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, it's, it's really cool to get to work with him because like the music side of his business is something I've always been passionate about. Music management is all I know and all I do. But it's really cool when you get to work on other things with him. You know, he opens restaurants, he has fashion lines, he has a book, we sold the movie, we have a TV show, we have this. That's where it's Steve Aoki Inc. and we're executives. So how many are you on the team? And like, what are the different roles that you guys play? Uh, it really depends on scenario. If you think of his tour team, like who's on the road with him, you know, it could be six people. Um, you know, there's an array of publicists, array of record label people, marketing and all this stuff. There's the... Uh, a couple, he has a couple assistants, there's other managers, there's marketing managers. It can be pretty robust. It just depends on the situation. If we're doing a call about an upcoming record, there could be 20 people on that call. Right. Uh, if it's him just going to play, we have a show in Miami this Friday, there's probably six people going. So yeah. you're like his day-to-day, -day. like you, you handle everything. Uh, to a degree, uh, to a degree. That we have, we have a, a, a girl named Carly who's been with us for a long time. She really runs the day-to-day. -day. Okay. Um, and then we have, you know, tour managers and production managers and right. all that. Right, you can't always be with him. No, I, I, it, the, on the road, uh, his tour manager, Dylan, um, who's been with him for probably six or seven years, literally every, always with him. Um, I do travel a lot, though. Like, I'll, I will be in Miami this Friday with him because uh, we have some other business. Like, I usually... I only go to the shows that are like, maybe they're special, like a special, like, like Coachella or something, or if we have other business, if I have meetings or we have business partners in a certain city or things to do, um, you know, like I'll go if it's like that. It's like, oh, we're going to go meet our Japanese partners. I'm going to spend a week in Tokyo 
he has two shows and I'm just going to do the two shows and then spend the rest of the, the week doing meetings. Wow. Um, so I, yeah, I, I usually just, I do end up traveling a lot, but it's always a purpose. If it's just a show, I don't really need to be there. How often would you say that you travel? Uh, well, 2020, not that much. Uh, but you know, 2019, I was probably gone uh, over a hundred days for sure. Um, I would assume probably 120, 125 days. Um, he has a lot of businesses. He's always opening new ones or starting new ones. And then we also have a lot of partners. His dad also, didn't his dad start Benihana? Yeah, he was yeah. The, the founder of Benihana. Same work ethic. Yeah, because he was also like a wrestler before. And I, I remember just reading about this when I was at a Benihana's. So, so I, I went dad, to one in Hawaii. His dad has the craziest story of anybody. Uh, you can get a glimpse. We made a documentary for Netflix a couple of years ago called I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. It's basically yeah. a documentary on Steve that touches on his dad's life and it's wild. I'm going to, I'm going to have to check that out. Check it out. And let me know, let me know what you think about it. Uh, it's a very, it was a very proud uh, project for all of us. All right. Last question. Um, what would be your advice to a college student that wants to try and get into management? Hmm. Well, I think like anything is if you love it and that's where your passion is, what, whatever it is, like whether it's management or it's accounting or it's, teaching you got to throw yourself in you got to like make a commitment that you're going to go in there and you're going to understand there's going to be peaks and valleys get get any ego and get any entitlement out of your brain for the first couple of years if you think you deserve something and you think you're entitled to something because one thing or another get that out of your brain realize like you really really have to work extremely hard uh, and i think some people are lucky some people hit it <clears throat> they find an, an amazing artist and then boom, they're like a massive manager, you know, just cause they hit, hit the lottery. But yeah. more often than not, <clears throat> it's like, it takes a long time. Like I, you know, I have friends back home in Winnipeg. They're like, you know, they, they, they get to see some stuff, you know, like some of the, some of the perks of what I do is like, you know, sometimes you get to go to some pretty crazy places or flying private jets and stuff. So people are like, Oh my God, like just happened for you. And then you're like, from 2005 to 2014, I probably should have been homeless. And I, at the same time, I just was like, I'm going to make it happen. And it was little increments and you have to celebrate those little wins, but it, like it took a long time. So it's a tough music and entertainment's tough. So you have to really love it and be committed to it and be relentless because it's not like you're going to have a lot of doors closed on you, but therein lies the opportunities because eventually one's going to open. Mm -hmm. What, and what you do with that open door will dictate where you go from there. <clears throat> like parlaying, parlaying opportunities and taking advantage of opportunities and trying to go, all right, I'm going to build this opportunity and another opportunity. I would never want to sway anybody from wanting to fulfill a dream that they're passionate about. And I think it, it's all the same across the board of what you could do. It's like you just got to throw yourself into it and make it work. Right. Well, Dougie, thank you so much for your time and for sharing all these great stories. Like they really hit home with me and I can't wait to share them with everyone who listens. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. And also, I didn't know you were Canadian. Um, so even better. I, uh, I always love connecting with other Canadians. At this point, living in LA, it just feels like anybody who's Canadian is my neighbor. So um, I'm, I'm happy we have that connection. I'm gonna make my way out there soon.
Hey everyone, just wanted to check back in and shout all of you out who are taking the time to check out the podcast, especially those of you who have been sharing it with your friends and writing me such nice messages on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you or someone you know has an awesome story that you think should be shared with the world, feel free to write me directly on any of our socials at The First Act Podcast. Until then, stay safe.